Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party, where we bring all our bikinis to an island and they give us FEMA tents and craft single sandwiches. Lol. I just watched the Fire Island doc finally, and I was like, damn, the original Patrama Party right there. So grab your swimsuit and your lawsuit and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez, and this week we're talking about jealousy. Someone wrote in and asked if I could cover this, and I was like, fuck, I have been purposely putting this one off because I hate the feeling of being jealous, but I also have Venus and Mercury in Scorpio, and so if anyone knows what jealousy feels like, it is me. I, I, I don't know why it is. But jealousy makes me feel so vulnerable and also super ashamed. To be clear, we're not talking about envy. Envy is when you wish you had something someone else has, like their possession or attributes. And honestly, like maybe this is controversial, but like envy, big fucking deal. Like I think envy is so just like, yeah, no shit. We all wish we had a yacht. We all wish we had dimples or whatever. I mean, like anyone feel free to call me out. I'm so fine with that. But I just think envy is sort of normal. But in my experience, I don't know if it's that like, I mean, I think everyone experiences jealousy, but maybe they don't experience blood curdling jealousy that like takes you over and makes you feel insane. Uh, I'm really not making a case for myself here. I'll just say I've never done anything physical out of fits of jealousy, but I for sure experienced jealousy that I could in no way talk myself out of that made me do weird shit, like glare at people from across the room. Okay, so... (laughs) This was back in my 20s, but I still so vividly remember the crazy that I felt. I was like, if that bitch fell and broke her foot, I would not call for help. (laughs) So, I mean, I think that's what feels so um, kind of awful about jealousy, at least for me, is that it has made me feel this, I don't want to say hatred, but it's like hatred adjacent sort of for people who were innocent. And to be super clear, jealousy as opposed to envy is about feeling threatened, protective, or fearful of losing one's position or situation to someone else. That's the dictionary definition of it. So with jealousy, you have this like intense, mean, and for me also at the same time, despairing feeling around someone who sometimes you don't even really know, right? This person you're afraid of losing someone else to. I mean, I, I you could totally be jealous of someone you think sucks, of course, <laughs> but you could just as easily be jealous of someone who never wronged you and is totally a cool person. And you're just like, yeah, I hope you die in a fire. So it's a big emotion. And to help us get some clarity with it, I'm so happy to welcome licensed clinician Andrea Brognano to the show. Hi, Andrea. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I know it's like a heavy topic, um, or it can be. And sometimes we don't necessarily think that it is right. Like you mentioned before, envy comes and goes. Um, but it definitely can be a a heavy topic. So thank you for having me here. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to have you and to get us started. Let's talk a little bit about your astrology. When we were emailing the other day, you said you didn't know a lot about your chart, but that you do know that you're a Pisces. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you sent me your birth info and I looked it up and it turns out you are a Pisces, of course, with a Scorpio moon and a Virgo rising, which probably doesn't mean anything to you. No, it, 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 it doesn't mean anything to me, but it means everything to me. Like, I do want to know more about it. So I'm intrigued to hear and learn. <laughs> well, what's interesting, I, first of all, I love this combo, the Pisces Virgo. So both of those are healing signs. Pisces mm. is more about healing on the emotional plane. Which of course makes sense for you. Yeah. <laughs> As a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Virgo is more about healing on the physical plane generally, but ultimately, like a lot of um like Virgo lends itself to like nursing, for oh, example. Okay. But when it's healthy, Virgo as a rising sign is about being of service to others in some way, which is absolutely in alignment with the work that you do. Right. And then Scorpio as a moon placement is about emotional transformation because the moon um, oversees our emotional landscape and Scorpio is about death and rebirth processes in order to evolve and transform. So this all makes a lot of sense for you career-wise. Does it resonate for you personally, like the, you know, having a Scorpio moon and this transformational aspect and... Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially like, you know, I always say as a therapist, it's important for us therapists to also go to therapy. So I'm, you know, I've been in therapy before, but relearning a lot about myself and being, a, you know, the older sibling to a younger male um, and just like the different parts of myself, healing myself and the different weight that I took on to hold the responsibility of him um, and trying to like carry that with me. So all of it does make sense because I feel like emotionally I've held a lot for the family for a long time. Um, so a lot of this makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, awesome. Okay. I'm going to dive into my experience with jealousy while I do that, feel free to interject with feelings, breakthroughs, yodels, if you're into yodeling, you know, or you can just chill, order pizza, color, whatever feels good. Either way, at the end, I'll turn things over to you with some questions. How does that sound? Perfect. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. Cool. Here we go. So like I mentioned earlier, I've never been jealous in my life because I am morally and emotionally superior. <laughs> no. Uh, I have experienced terrible jealousy and it feels awful. It feels super powerless. I've also been on the receiving end of jealousy and that has also really fucking sucked actually. Well, okay. Okay. There were times in high school when I knew mean girls were jealous of me and that felt great. I was like, yeah, eat it up. You assholes. Clearly I wasn't my most evolved self at 16, but you know, we're here for the honesty. Are any of us? No, <laughs> at 16. No, <laughs> no. So we weren't our best selves at 16. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest. Okay. But let's talk about feeling jealous. The story I'll talk about comes from my twenties. I had been hooking up with someone off and on for like, God, maybe three or four years at that point. Let's call him Howard. I really, really liked Howard. And at first I thought Howard really cared about me. Not, not because he ever said that, mind you, but because I projected that onto him. I had this kind of delusional idea of who he was that I in no way investigated because I was like 20 years old. I just decided like this guy is kind and sensitive and loyal and thoughtful and also in love with me and we're meant for each other. Right. I just kind of like put that stamp on it. I'll just pause to say from an astrological perspective, 
I want, I, I don't normally do this, but I do feel inclined to say this. I want to put it out there that if you have Scorpio in your chart, especially if you have a Scorpio stellium, which just means you have three or more placements in one sign. So like maybe you have three planets in Scorpio, for example, which I do, I have a Scorpio stellium. And if you have any of the personal planets in Scorpio, which are sun, moon, Venus, or Mercury, you may very well experience jealousy at a more intense level because Scorpio, especially when you haven't been going to therapy, is prone to fixation and jealousy. And this is also true if you have a lot of placements in your eighth house, because that's the house that Scorpio oversees. And part of that is that Scorpio is an incredibly devoted sign, especially Venus and Scorpio. With Scorpio energy, once you land on someone, it's like no one else exists. This could be romantically, it could be with friendships, with family members. And when that devotion isn't reciprocated, it can feel sort of foundation shattering. Taurus can be this way also. Taurus is more possessive than jealous usually, but they kind of go hand in hand. Anyway, in case that's helpful for anyone, I just wanted to add it. But that said, literally anyone can experience jealousy. You don't have to have Scorpio or Taurus in your chart. And I also think that if you were traumatized growing up, you're likely more prone to jealousy. And I'll get into that too. Anyway, that's kind of what happened with me in this situation. I was like, hi, I have Venus in Scorpio, but I'm 23 in this scenario and I don't know myself at all or how the world works. And I assume that what I feel is what other people feel. And I've decided that this guy I've hooked up with is meant for me because he's smart and talented and sweet and anti-war and he drinks tea instead of coffee, which seems cool. So yeah, we're in love. The end. Well, you know, that was not the end, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) This guy lived in Northern California He was going to school up there and I was living in LA. I had just graduated from college. When he would come into town, we would hook up and we would, you know, talk on the phone sometimes when he was gone and text and stuff. But neither one of us was communicating how we felt about the other. I wasn't being open about my feelings because it felt too scary and vulnerable. And I assumed that that was also why he was not talking about his feelings. Turns out that was not why. So During this time, he had a friend who he mentioned to me occasionally who happened to be a lady. Let's call her Janice. But again, remember, I'm young. I'm naive. I believe everything people tell me because I'm a terrible liar and I assume everyone else is too. He said Janice was just his good friend. So that's what I believe. So this goes on and on. And finally, I'm getting to a point where I'm like, okay, he needs to come down to LA and see me. We haven't seen each other in months. And as it happened, a mutual friend of ours was having a party in LA. So I was like, hey, come down for this party our friend is having and let's hang out. And he texted back something dismissive like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. And I was kind of stunned by that because remember, in my mind, Duder and I are going to be together forever. So I don't really understand why he's not being like, fuck, I really wish I could, something like that. A little bit more. You wanted a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what is this? So I kind of tried to make a joke out of it. I was like, so by probably not, do you mean you definitely are? And he was like, by probably not, I mean, no. And it was mean, right? And and it was like shocking. And I was like, oh. And so I said, okay, then let's not talk anymore. And he was like, okay. And I was devastated. I mean, heartbroken. Oh my God. I was crushed. Crushed. Yeah. Like, 
I can, I can sense it as you're telling the story, like yes. what that must've been like. Yeah. Oh my God. I had liked this guy for years. We'd been hooking up throughout college off and on. I projected this idea onto him that he was really empathetic and kind hearted and sensitive, mostly because he wrote poetry, which let me just tell you as someone who later ended up getting her master's in creative writing for poetry and who got to know many a poet, quite a few are assholes. So don't be fooled by that. So I'm over here super shocked and raw and hurting. And I go to my friend's house for this party. And my friend who's throwing it is like, hey, I saw Howard last week. He was in town. My friend had no idea that Howard and I had had any kind of a conversation. And he also didn't know the details of my relationship with him. So he was like, yeah, Howard was here last week. First of all, this in itself was shocking because Howard and I had talked two weeks before and he didn't mention anything about coming to town and he didn't try to see me while he was there. And then my friend drops this bomb on me. He was like, yeah, he came down with Janice. Apparently they're together now. And I was like, oh, no, they're just friends. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I know. I'm cringing so I want to hug 23-year-old you because I could feel the, the crush. Yeah, it's like, it's embarrassing. But also, I was so innocent is really what mm. it was. It was like, this is what this person told me. So that's what's true, right? Like, I just couldn't see anything else. So I was like, no, no, they're just friends. And he was like, no, they're definitely together. So that was cool. That was a cool conversation. And as a result of how cool it was, I went into a bathroom and sobbed at the party. And then I hooked up with some dude that I went to high school with in the same bathroom about an hour later in order to show myself just how much I didn't care, which for anyone who's ever buried their sadness into a bunch of vodka cranberries and ended up hooking up in a bathroom with someone from a time in your life when you just barely got in your period, like I have been there. I feel that pain. In other words, I wasn't doing great. And the reason was that it wasn't just about feeling sort of duped and betrayed and stupid for believing this guy, which obviously I felt all of that, but also the feeling of not being good enough of not being chosen. I felt defective, right? I felt not important, which were all deep, deep childhood wounds I was still carrying and had not worked through at all. All of those got triggered in one fell swoop. Suddenly it was like, yeah, you're not important. You're not good enough because if you were, you would have been chosen. Fast forward a few months, a friend invites me up to Northern California to hang out and to go to this party where his band is playing. Well, his band was made up of my friend, Howard and Janice. <laughs> and because I wanted everyone to think I didn't care about the whole situation, I was like, yeah, cool. I'll be there, which I do not recommend this, you guys. Anyway, we all know where this is going, you know, straight to hell. This is going straight to jealousy hell where we burn with a deep, overwhelming hatred of a nice girl named Janice. I'll fast forward to the day of the party. I'm trying my very best to pretend like I'm so over it. I couldn't care less. I'm obviously drinking because I'm 23 and that's how I did things back then, handled my, you know, anxiety. The band goes on. And when I tell you that this is a complete nightmare, first of all, first of all, and this is like a weird aside, my dad is a jazz musician. My dad was not a good dad, but he was and is an incredible musician. And all my life, I felt like I wasn't good enough 
for music. Like he was so serious and intense about music that it sort of made me feel like I shouldn't even try. I felt intimidated, but secretly I always wanted to play music and I gave up on it really, really early in my life. And mind you, this party band that my friend and all these other people are in, they're not like a good band, right? They're not like this crazy good band. They're kind of a joke band, like intentionally, but still there's Janice fucking playing the keyboard. So already my insecurities are all up in my face. Then they start playing and Janice does something like she comes up to the front of the stage and does like a somersault or a dance or something. I can't remember, but everyone starts cheering. And then Howard gets on the fucking mic and is like, how many of you want to make out with Janice tonight? And all these guys in the crowd start yelling and Howard goes into the mic too bad. She's my girlfriend. I mean, in your core, I feel it in your core. I already. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, I cannot even tell this story with without being absolutely fucking aghast. Like how cruel life can be sometimes, like to the point that it's laughable because it's so crazy. Like, how is this story a real story and not a screenplay? (laughs) Do you know? Jesus Christ, what a nightmare. So then as soon as their set is over, you know, I'm doing shots in the kitchen. Of course, I'm like wrecked. I come back out to where the band was playing and Howard literally has her pushed up against a wall and is making out with her so hard that he has red lipstick smeared all over his face. And it was so painful and there was nowhere to hide. There was no way to escape it in my mind, right? Like, I guess I could have just walked somewhere else, but I didn't have a car. I was staying with my friend who was also in the band, so I couldn't leave. And on top of it, and this is most important, to protect my vulnerability, it was so important to me to act like I didn't care. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, leaving would be publicly admitting that I was hurt by this situation, which, which made me feel way too exposed. Like it made me feel worse than staying, which now when I look back on it, I'm like, what? But that's kind of the thing about jealousy, right? For those of us who either are now or have been in the past really afraid of showing vulnerability to others, jealousy is particularly painful because it's so powerful. It forces us to show how hurt we are or how much we care or how deeply we feel about someone. Often when that person doesn't reciprocate those feelings, basically jealousy totally blows your cover because at least for me, you can't control it. Jealousy controls you. And that feeling of powerlessness, that inability to protect yourself and your vulnerability can be excruciating. The last thing I wanted in that moment was to give Howard any indication that I was gutted by this. He clearly was not thinking about me at all. And I wanted him to think that I wasn't thinking about him or Janice either. So I stuck around the party and tried my best to like, you know, just pretend I was having a good time. I'm like dancing all crazy. I'm laughing too loudly (laughs) and then going to the bathroom to sob and then coming out and doing a shot, you know, just like really, just really not thriving. Eventually we all left. And I remember I got into my friend's car. I was in the passenger seat. Howard pulls up next to our car with our other friend in his passenger seat. And they were talking to my friend and like trying to figure out plans where they were going to go next. And I could not 
physically control myself. I like rubbernecked, leaned forward and was very obviously, very actively trying to see if Janice was in Howard's backseat, like looking so like just being a, a crazy, jealous person and and feeling physically incapable of of holding myself back. Like my body wasn't listening to my brain, like this whole trying to like keep my cool. It's just like, I couldn't physically do it. Fast forward a few months. I was at another party. I had come back up North. Howard was not there, but Janice was. I remember there were like 15 of us in a bar and she was standing next to this dude who had a weird shirt on. And I purposely stared at his shirt for a long time, like squinting my eyes. God, you guys, this is so weird. But I stared at his shirt so that she would see me staring in her direction, think I was staring at her, and then feel like an idiot when she realized that I wasn't. <laughs> like, what the fuck? But but that's what jealousy does, right? It makes you do the weirdest stuff. It made you want her to feel insecure. Yes. Yeah. I want I wanted her to think that... I was jealous of that, like, oh, here's Remy being weird, staring at me. She And then be like, oh. And then ca- get caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted. <laughs> so let's dig into this a little bit. The reality of this situation is it had nothing to do with Janice. According to everyone I knew, Janice was super cool, which, by the way, just made me hate her even more at the time, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. But it had nothing to do with her, right? And the other reality is that it didn't have anything to do with Howard either. And that's the thing that took me a really long time to figure out. When we feel jealousy, the feeling is like, if this person doesn't love me back, or if this person leaves me, or if this person gets with someone else, it's some version of like, if that happens, I won't be okay because I need them, or I need to think that they need me, or whatever version of the story that looks like. Years later... When I was starting to get into therapy and look under the hood and kind of figure out what was behind me having some of those really big emotional reactions, I realized that for me, I felt so deeply, deeply, deeply rejected by my father that it was imperative to me that I not ever be rejected by anyone else again. I couldn't handle the feeling that someone might not want me because that little girl who was still living inside me who had so desperately wanted a dad who loved her, that girl would come out of hiding and her grief was colossal. It was earth shaking. It was so overwhelming for me emotionally. I didn't want to experience it. I didn't want to have to feel that tremendous pain that most of the time I could just tuck away inside myself and forget about. And so I didn't want to ever again, be in any kind of situation that involved rejection, because that's when I lost the ability to hide that little girl's pain. That's when I lost control and had to feel that suffering rise up again. I say little girl. I mean, it was my pain, but I say little girl because that's sort of when it originated. I was going to say, yeah, it's always it's always from the little young version of ourselves. Yeah, that inner child. Yeah. So for me, there was a direct correlation between being rejected and feeling jealous. And I would even feel this sense in romantic scenarios. It was like, you can't just like me. 
You have to utterly devote yourself to me and no one but me, or I don't feel secure. I feel rejected and my jealousy comes rising to the surface and I can't hide it or control it. And then I feel powerless again. So the healing for me has been in part, this is, I'm going to get to some deeper healing, but I do want to say this. Part of it has been accepting that I'm a really monogamous person who also needs to partner with a monogamous person. I used to feel a lot of shame about being jealous. And I think a lot of that is because, especially in certain spiritual communities and in like the woo-woo community, whatever, there's this idea that if you're not able to be polyamorous, there's something spiritually wrong with you, right? You're sort of spiritually defective because love is meant to be shared and jealousy is a moral failure, whatever, blah, blah. I just don't buy into that anymore. I'm totally fine with people being polyamorous if that's what, you know, what works for them. But I've gotten to the point in my relationship to jealousy that I don't shame it in that way. I still do feel embarrassed about how much jealousy has come up for me if I'm being honest, but I don't tell myself I don't get to have jealousy anymore because that feels like abusive to me now. I have a roommate who's a Leo with a Scorpio moon and a Scorpio rising. And she was talking about how she was with someone they were to, they were married. They're not married anymore, but they were married. And he was getting these flirty text messages from his coworker. And she was like, what the fuck is this about? It was the perfect Leo response. And he was like, wow, you sound really jealous. And she was like, yes, that does make me feel jealous. You and I are in a monogamous marriage. So yes, I feel jealous when you get these messages from your coworker. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with you allowing these texts from her when you're in a monogamous marriage with me. And I loved that so much. She was just so in her power around it, like such good Leo energy. She didn't try to deny being jealous or allow him to create shame for her about it. And, and this is huge, she used it as a gauge for her boundaries. She was like, this jealousy is a flag that your behavior crosses the line for me. You and I are monogamous. This woman's clearly hitting on you and you're not in, in integrity with the situation. You just keep allowing it and kind of egging it on. And that's not cool. So that was a really good model for me. I think for me anyway, there's some middle ground with jealousy. Yes, we want to understand where it's coming from, what pain is underneath it, what healing needs to happen on our end. And I love being able to use jealousy in the same way we use resentments as this guide to help us understand when our boundaries have been violated. But let's go back to these moments when we realize that jealousy is coming from trauma, which was definitely the case for me with Howard. What do we do when we figure out what that pain point is? You know, what does it look like? How do we start to heal that? I think this can probably look a lot of different ways for different people. For me, my jealousy was sitting on top of terrible grief. It was just quite simply the unbearable grief of not being loved by my dad. An offshoot of that grief was the belief I created as a little girl that there was something wrong with me that made my dad not love me, which is pretty much always what kids do. Like, you know, a four-year-old is not going to look at her father and be like, wow, you're emotionally unavailable and you are an addict right? Like she's going to say, what's wrong with me that you yell at me all the time and you don't want to be around me and all these things, right? That belief that I was defective and would be abandoned was another big piece of jealousy for me. When someone wanted someone else instead of me, obviously that triggered the belief that there was something wrong with me. 
And that was way too painful for me to feel. It was easier to be like this dude or Howard or whoever it was. He has to want me because if he doesn't, I'll feel that feeling of being rejected because there's something wrong with me. And I definitely can't feel that. In a way, the jealousy is a protective layer, right? I, I can put my focus on this thing and this situation and this person so I don't have to feel the even more excruciating thing happening underneath it, the real issue. Right. The other part of healing goes beyond the intellectual understanding of it, right? Understanding it intellectually is necessary and a crucial part, but it doesn't fix the pain. You know, you're not like, oh, I get it. Now I don't feel any pain, Right. The healing for me was in going into that pain and allowing it, which I'll just say it puts you out like you are down for the count for a minute when you allow yourself to finally feel that pain. It can take days to recover sometimes, sometimes longer. It's so powerful. My main method of working with that grief has been doing these regression visualizations called reparenting that I've done with my therapist many times at this point, And I've talked about them on the pod before, too. Essentially, you close your eyes, you remember a traumatic event from your childhood, you visualize it in your mind's eye, and then you pause it and insert adult you into the scenario. And child you can cry to adult you and tell you all the things that she's experiencing, all that pain that she has, all the confusion. And rather than having that treated badly, right, by the adults who are actually there in that moment, you're there to comfort her, hold her, talk to her, whatever she needs. What I love about it is that you go back to that moment, these these traumatizing moments that impact us, right? And you feel those feelings that came up. But instead of being abused when you feel them, which is often what happened to us as kids, you are reparented by you. You not only feel that pain that you felt then, but you now also receive that pain for your inner child in a loving, nurturing, emotionally available, emotionally intelligent way. The other thing I want to offer is something I recently experienced called NET. It stands for neuro-emotional technique. I have no idea how it works. It's magic, but it involves muscle testing. Uh, which I had only used up to this point for physical ailments. Muscle testing is where the practitioner tests your body's muscles, asking yes or no questions to figure out what is going on with it. And then also to figure out what herbs or medications would be most beneficial to help heal what's wrong. NET works the same way, but instead of asking about physical issues, you muscle test on emotional issues. So recently I went into my acupuncturist and when I started telling her about some of the emotional things that had been going on in my life, she was like, you know, I think we actually need to do NET on you. So she muscle tested me and then was just like, what happened when you were 27 and what happened when you were 37? Like she wasn't asking questions out loud that prepared me for that. It was just like my body told her. So I think essentially like what happens is the body communicates to the practitioner what points in your life something traumatic happened that you were holding on to, right? That's still inside your body. And as it turned out, both of those years were really hard in my life. 
Then she had me hold specific pressure points in my hands that were associated with those traumas. And by that, I mean, she was like, this one affected your gallbladder meridian. This one affected your liver meridian. So then the place on your hand that's for the gallbladder, the place that's for the liver. She has me like hold those pressure points, hold my hand to my forehead and take deep breaths. I'm totally butchering this in terms of explaining how the process like actually works from a technical perspective, because I genuinely don't know how it works. All I know is that when she had me do that, like hold those points and then hold my hand to my forehead, I suddenly, like I describe it as, as like vomit sobbing. Like suddenly I was projectile sobbing as if this sadness was inside me like a sickness and my body just had to like barf it out all at once. Get it out. Yeah. yeah. Just get it out. And then it was done. Like suddenly I was done. That's what it was like. I just sobbed really hard for a minute, got it out and then felt really done. But no matter what route you go in healing that trauma, I think the main thing is that you in some way have to let yourself feel the pain. Give yourself time with that. Let yourself cry as many times and as long as you need, and then start the path to realizing these beliefs that we created early on in our lives, they're just not true. They may feel true. I mean, they do feel true, (laughs) but as we heal, they'll feel less and less true. And eventually we'll be able to see them for what they are, you know, just distortions, not reality. And when we can see that and feel that, really feel that, that's when the jealousy stuff starts to dissipate. Or anyway, that's been true for me. If you already know that you're wonderful and important and worthy of love, someone wanting someone else instead of you, of course that hurts. But you'll also be able to see that it's ultimately not about you, that you don't want to be with someone who doesn't really love and care about you and doesn't nurture your relationship or you don't want the job if the job doesn't want you back why would you want like that's not the job for you then or whatever it is right like you'll be able to walk away from those situations much more easily and find the people in the situations who do want to reciprocate okay andrea how are you doing over there Good. I was very intrigued by everything that you were saying, because it sounds like for you, you've done a lot of healing and soul searching on what that, even that specific moment had meant for you, you know? Um, and, and the way that that like came up in waves, I know you told a very vivid and detailed story of that one moment, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that that wasn't the only moment that stuck out in your life, that there was jealousy that was there. And it, it all crept back to, I mean, it sounds like you did a lot of healing about little you, right? Little Remy and what the impact that was and how jealousy then carried throughout your life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're right. Uh, as much as I would like to be like, no, this was the only time I ever felt jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> just once. Just once. That was it. Casual. <laughs> right. There's one cat. Yeah. No, but this was the one like time where I felt like I couldn't physically control my body, where I was doing weird physical things where I was like, damn, I have no power over this. So let me, let me just dive in because I started out saying, I feel a lot of shame around jealousy or it feels really embarrassing. Why is that? Why does like, I don't think, I mean, maybe there are lots of feelings that, um, incite shame in us, but like, to say I feel sad or like I'm having a hard day, whatever, that's one thing. But to say I feel jealous feels particularly shameful. Like, what is that about? 
society has told us for so long and like taught it's very it's very weird how in society we like pit ourselves against ourselves so like when we have feelings that we're wanting or waiting for something else that someone else has we're told no you have to work on yourself you have to work on yourself a better version of yourself you have to do this but also be better than that other person so when that other person has what it is that you want in this case howard you're shameful because you're like, well, I'm not supposed to outwardly say that this is what I want, but I'm also supposed to be able to work towards that. So it's a fight and an internal battle with yourself. Mm, so it's sort of like we turn inwards and say, there's something wrong with you. Right. Yeah. And so is that, a, is that uh, like, what is it particularly about jealousy though? That's like, we hate that we have it. I think that we get shameful over having it because then it would mean that we're not happy with ourselves or whatever it is we have in that moment. Mm. So we get shameful because we're not able to say like, we're proud of how far we've come when maybe in reality, especially like on the world of social media, right? We're always flashing our accomplishments, maybe, which is great. I encourage people to do that. But then the second that we feel like we're jealous of someone else, it's almost like black and white of like, okay, if I'm jealous, then I can't also be proud of all these other things. And I can't be prideful of all of these other things. So if I'm jealous, it means that I'm also not proud. The two can coexist, but we've like taught ourselves that they can't because society has told us that. The society has told us that jealousy means that we're not also proud of the accomplishments that we've had or that they realistically mean nothing. Hmm. Well, and I love you, you hit on something I think that's really big, which is like, if we, first of all, if we're jealous of someone, we already feel like that person is better than us in some way or further ahead or yeah. Right. So we feel that way. If we're jealous and we tell people that we're jealous of them, it's like, we're sort of acknowledging that that's the truth. We're saying that must be true that they are better than me because on top of me feeling that way, like I, I must be feeling that way because it's true. It's like, it's so vulnerable because it's saying, I think this person is actually better than me. It's also vulnerable because someone might turn around and say, yeah, you're right. Right. Like, let's say like, I'm jealous that that person got first place in a race, right? Let's say a 5K, that's maybe as much as I can run. Let's say in a 5K, right? There's a person that comes in first place and then you come in second. And now I'm I'm jealous of the fact that they came in first. If I were to turn around and say, I'm jealous that that person came in first, not only have they already gotten the gold medal, but someone else is also going to val- like validate that for me, right? So the validity of that is going to hit me with a second wave of jealousy of like, oh my gosh, this is true. And I have to live in the truth of this. And that's really uncomfortable for me because I didn't want this to be the case. So it's the frustration and you know, being upset over not getting what it is that you wanted and then saying that and speaking that out loud for other people to hear it. Right. Yeah. Like last night, um, I was, I didn't watch the Grammys last night, but I saw clips of it. And when Lizzo won album of the year, they always do this, right? They like, they show, you know, they go to whoever won, but then they show you all the people who didn't win and see their reactions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like Taylor Swift started like they start playing Lizzo's music. Right. And like Taylor Swift starts like dancing and and the, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but looking at it, I was like, oh, she is trying so hard <laughs> to be like, this is great. Everything's fine. This doesn't bother me at all. You know? And like, of course, because if you, 
if let's say she were to like throw a plate or, right, or you know, right. like flip Lizzo off or whatever, like then it's, oh, she's so crazy. Or like, oh, how dare she have a feeling over being upset over the fact that she didn't win. Yeah. Or if she's like sobbing or something, then it's like, oh, you can't be happy for someone else. It's like, it feels like a moral failure in this way. Um, and we have to go to these great lengths to show like, I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous where, where it can just be like, yeah, I've, yeah. That kind of made me feel jealous. That like didn't feel good. Because I think we've, we've often been taught like about everything. And I think that that's like one thing that I do with my clients, right? Like that two things can exist at the same time, but like jealousy and like feeling happy for someone else. We've been taught that like, they're not allowed to coexist. Like I can be jealous of the person that like, oh man, I wasn't, I wasn't able to, to win that, but I still had a really, if I was Taylor Swift, let's say, right. Like I'm jealous that Lizzo won this award, but I still did have a really great year. And my music impacted so many people and I sold X amount of albums or however music is sold these days. I don't know. Right. But like two things are coexisting. It's just, we've been taught that they're not allowed to. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a one of the takeaways for today that's important to really pinpoint is that you can feel jealous and love yourself. You can feel jealous and also care about this other person or acknowledge that this person is cool. You can feel like I don't love that. I feel jealous and I feel jealous. Right. Right. I'm not happy about this feeling, but this is the feeling that I have. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, it's okay that I have it, you know, it just is. Yeah. So let's get into this. What are some of the core emotions behind jealousy? Like what's going on when you work with your clients and like this comes up, what's actually going on behind the scenes? I think you hit it really well in that behind the scenes, typically there is some portion of some sort of trauma that has happened there or an incident that has shaped us to think that I have to have this like competitive side. So internally it's a matter of like disappointment and disappointment is really just hurt and pain and sadness underneath because I didn't either meet my own expectations or the expectations for someone else for me to be able to prove my worth and my value. And that oftentimes comes down to our inner childhood, something that happens somewhere along the lines that is staying with me, like, or staying with us throughout the thread of our life. And I say trauma in this sense. I mean, you guys probably have talked about it multiple times on the podcast. No two traumas are the same, right? So my trauma doesn't have to be this grandiose thing. My trauma could have been like the girl on the corner, like yelled at me for like my shoes mismatching. And that stuck with me for the rest of my life because it was a traumatic event, right? So this jealousy comes from a traumatic event, whatever that is within childhood that shaped us and the reactions of the people around us of how we're supposed to react throughout our lives. Um, but it comes down to like feelings of disappointment and that's really just hurt at the end of the day, pain and hurt. Yeah. And I think, um, I certainly felt disappointed in that situation. I think, and then maybe this is another thing about the shame aspect is that I know for me, insecurity comes up with jealousy and I think it's really vulnerable to say I'm insecure. Oh, of course. I mean, like, and like, look at Instagram. I mean, it's such a perfect example. We don't 
post the moments when we are like when we didn't get the job. We're not like, oh, here's a selfie of me not getting the job that I really wanted. You know, like no one's really talking about uh, right the, the the insecure moments. No one's wanting to like put those on the front page of a paper. But that is sort of like the jealousy stuff. We get jealous because we don't feel secure about something. We feel insecure in whatever way. Like my friend who was married, she wasn't feeling secure in the in the relationship. I felt like insecure about myself. Like there's something wrong with me, right? right. Whatever it is. But I think that's also maybe another piece of why it feels shameful is because we really don't want to talk about, we don't want to like, Admit to insecurities. Yeah, we don't yeah. want to take a bullhorn to our insecurities. And that's what jealousy kind of is. It's this like yeah. bullhorn to our insecurities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a big piece of that too, though, right? Is like, where does that insecurity also come from? Like you shared it before. It's like young you with the relationship with your dad, right? Like you were led into growing up feeling insecure because you were always searching for that love and like craving that. So it makes sense in the situation with Harry that you were like, no, 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 it has to be me and only me because I've needed this for so long. And now that I've found the person that will fill that void for me, I'm going to attach and latch onto them and we can only be with each other because this is what I need. So it makes sense that that insecurity stayed with you throughout your lifetime. Yeah. And I love that you kind of talk about it like, oh, I found someone who's going to fill this void because we don't know we're doing that in the moment. We have no idea. No, we're like, no, I'm in love with you. And this right. has to work. <laughs> but truly, it is like I have this deep, um, this deep hole, this deep wound. And if I could just fill it with something good, then everything would be okay. Well, that's what usually happens in relationships in general, right? Like the partner that we usually cho like choose is the one that's filling a void of some piece, right? That's the whole saying of opposites attract usually is for that reason, right? Because there's like something opposite of me that I don't have in my life that I need in my life. So that's why I want this, this void to be filled because I need that, um, whether it's from trauma or not. And then if you're not talking with your partner enough about what those insecurities are or the voids that they're filling, then those insecurities spill out when they do something that, I mean, in this situation, it was very blatant and obvious that he was doing something that was going to hurt her because she was in a monogamous relationship. And it sounds like they had already set the table and tone of that's what that was going to be. But if you're doing something harf harmful to your partner, then of course those insecurities are going to show. Right. It's so ingrained in us that being insecure is unattractive. Mm -hmm. You are undesirable when you feel insecure, right? Like that's what we're told over and over and over again. So no wonder jealousy is so hard for us because it's essentially just like, I am insecure. <laughs> and it's so weird, right? Because like I say it all the time, I'm like, everything is just made up. Like we make things up. We decided that we were going to place that value on what insecurity is, mm -hmm. right? When, when insecurity is really just like someone craving safety, realistically. Totally. So like physically, when someone else is craving safety, we throw them a life raft, let's say, right? So we're not doing that in the sense of jealousy. We're not saying like, ooh, what is it that made you jealous in this in this scenario? And how could I be like that that 
life raft for you. What is it that I need to do? And that's what couples need to do a little bit more. If only speaking in terms of couples, you know, or even like friends, like platonic relationships, like what is it I can do to be making you feel more safe? Right. Oh my God. I love that you brought that up because I feel like that's something that we just don't talk about is that like insecurity is about not feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Like, And he's like, if you find someone drowning in a river, you know, you're not going to be like, woof. Yeah, that's you're being clingy and needy right now. Yeah, like like, now I can't help you. Yeah, good luck (laughs) with that. Yeah, exactly. What we do is we say, how can I help you get out of there? Mm -hmm. But for some reason with emotional insecurity, which, you know, loops in jealousy, we're like, ooh, weird, gross. I don't want anything to do with that. I think in the year 2023, it's very unfortunate that we just, we are still in a world where there's so much work that needs to be done on tying into like this being mental health, right? Like mm-hmm. there's so much that we still have to do as far as like pushing the narrative that it's okay to have different emotions and be a human in general, right? And I think it's because every person inside here, inside your brain, it looks differently and it's like working differently. So since we can't see it, we can't say what it is that we see or say what it is that we're feeling um, because we can't dictate of that of another person. Whereas if the person is just drowning out in the ocean, we can vividly like see that and do what we need to do to help them. But in terms of like maybe a person feeling insecure and jealous, it also takes the other party to be a little bit vulnerable and be like, I actually don't know how to help you in this scenario, but I want to make you feel safe. So it's a lot of vulnerability of all parties involved. Yeah. Well, this kind of leads into my next question. What is the relationship between anxious attachment and jealousy? Because I'm super anxiously attached. And I know that that comes up for me is like, I mean, I guess this is sort of what we've been talking about. It's this, I don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And they go very closely hand in hand because of that reason, right? So if you have an anxious attachment style, you're going to look to the people or persons, whoever it is that is in your life that you have that attachment to or, or craving that attachment or just the relationship in general so that when they do something else that doesn't fully involve you 110%, there's going to be some jealousy because in your mind, that it's that attachment style is saying like, you're not deserving if you're not the only person in that person's life. So that anxious attachment style is, I have to be the only person in your life, right? I have to fill that void for you. In reality, they're just, they're filling the void for you. Wait, sorry. Let me make sure I understand that. So for the anxious attachment style, let's say you want to attach, like you're trying to attach to that other person Mm -hmm. and you're so anxiously doing so. So anything that they do, it's going to make you feel jealous. You're feeling like you're filling a void for them, but really that anxious attachment style, they're filling a void for you by always being either readily available or making it seem like their entire being is fully devoted to you and not other eyes on other people. So wait, so when we're anxiously attached in our minds, we're thinking I'm showing up for you. I Mm -hmm. am helping you. I, but actually what we're by wanting to show up for them all the time and wanting to always be there and wanting to be their number one person, we are actually trying to get our needs met. Yes. Yes. Oh, whoa. I don't think I've ever had it explained. Thought of it that way. Yeah. 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 Because we feel like we want someone there all the time because we need to feel safe. 
Yeah. Interesting. And that really does set you up to feel jealous because you're like, you're my number one. Hello. Why am I not yours? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. That's really powerful. Yeah. Let me end with this. When we're experiencing jealousy, how, what do we do? How can we work with it in healthy ways? How do we work through it? How do we heal it? What do we do in the moment? What do we do in the big picture? I think in the, in the moment, the best thing to do is ask yourself, what is the reality of the thoughts that I'm telling myself right now? Right? Like, let's say you're starting to get jealous of whatever's happening. Usually when that happens, you spiral like a little tornado and come up with all sorts of other thoughts. So even saying to yourself, what are the reality of the thoughts that I'm having right now? What is the likelihood of the thoughts that I'm having right now? Outside of the moment, having a conversation with the person that you're jealous over and, and saying it truthfully and honestly, listen, this is really vulnerable for me to speak on this and I'm feeling insecure. I don't want this to be like a yucky conversation. It feels a little odd for me, but I feel like it's better if I have this conversation with you so it doesn't fester into other avenues or in other emotions and it becomes bigger than what it is. Here's what I'm feeling and here's why I'm feeling it. And just having honest conversations. Much of what we do specifically even as therapists is reminding people of communication styles, right? And like being honest, of course, being vulnerable is really scary because we've taught ourselves that it needs to be, but it doesn't just ripping the bandaid off, having the conversation rather than making up the story and narrative in your own mind. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel terrifying to say that. I will also say as I have gotten healthier and healthier in my journey, it's gotten easier for me to say, Hey, when you did that, that didn't feel good. And like, it made me feel this way. Like I, I felt this way and, um, I really don't like that. And, and the other thing I, I also want to say, and this took me a long time to figure out too, when you're in, for me, when, when I was in a situation with someone where the way they were showing up was making me feel insecure about our relationship. A lot of time, like what, what here, let me go with what used to happen. What used to happen was I would finally get the courage to say like, this hurt my feelings or something. I had surrounded myself with a lot of people who just like, weren't great, (laughs) you know? And, and the response that I would get was like, you're being stupid. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like a lot of really calloused responses. Right. And because my mindset was there's something wrong with me. You believe them. I believe them. I would say, oh, fuck that. I am being stupid or mm-hmm. oh, I am. I am too much. I'm making this all up. I'm being crazy. I'm too emotional. I'm too sensitive. All those stories. Right. As I've gotten healthier, when someone doesn't meet me in those moments, when someone isn't like, wow, fuck, I am so sorry. That sounds really painful. How can I help? What can, how can we change this? How can we work on it? If it's not that I see the issue for what it is, this person cannot meet me. Yep. And it's not because there's something wrong with me and continuing to be involved with this person this jealousy, this insecurity, this shit feeling is going to keep coming up because this isn't someone who's working on it with me. Yep. It you don't you don't just go into a relationship with no insecurities. We all have them. Right. And but not and but truly a but. 
But if that other person isn't willing to receive those insecurities in a loving, emotionally intelligent, um, you know, yeah, love. I think loving is really the word I'm looking for. It's just really a loving way. And also, with, and, and not a defensive way, because I think that's the other thing that comes up. And I all I should asterisk this. Sometimes we get defensive and then we realize that was the wrong move and we come back. But the people who aren't loving and then don't kind of come back and say like, oh, if they if they get defensive, come back and say, oh, sorry about that. Like, it's not about me. And it's and it's not true that like I I should never have had that insecurity and there's something wrong with me that I got jealous or whatever. That's just not true. So I think like right. part of it is destigmatizing jealousy in our own minds, in our own hearts and saying like, man, sometimes I get jealous and it's because I don't feel safe. And I do want to be in relationships with people who help me feel safe. Right. Wholeheartedly. Yes. Yeah. Because you deserve that. Every person deserves to feel safe, whatever that looks like for them. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't know it was going to be so fun to talk about jealousy. I was like, actually, really like, well, I really don't want to have that combo. But this is this has been a really fun combo. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? Best way to find me. I'm always on Instagram. So it's at Andrea Brognano. Okay, great. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama Party or on my personal Insta at Remy's, R-E-M-E-E-Z. You can also email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, definitely hit me up. Also, if you want to join the Patrama Party community, you can find us on Facebook. It's a really cool group of listeners. We check in with each other about the stuff we're going through and offer support and resources. So if you're into that, just search the Patrama Party and I'll add you. Speaking of support, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. And I read all of the reviews. And if you'd like to support the pod, you can now. You can give a dollar a month, $5. I pour myself into this podcast. I put so much time and energy into it. So if you're able and moved to, just go to anchor.fm forward slash the Pachama Party and scroll down to the support button. You can also find the support option on Spotify. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party. Bye.